Blog Talk Radio. There's something outside. What is that? American name Bigfoot. 
And he said, oh, my God, all of this time I'm going over to Nepal to look for these things, and apparently something like it right here in North America. Right here in California, yeah. Right in California, now, which um, is awesome. Tom Slick, he was, just in case people don't know, uh, he was very intelligent and very um, highly educated. He attended Yale and Harvard and MIT, majored in engineering, natural sciences, and medicine. Um you know, back when he was in college, he did make a, a trip to Scotland with some friends and, you know, investigated the Loch Ness Monster. So he 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 seemed to always want to go that extra mile to, to um, you know, not just read about it, talk about it, or, or just, you know, go over there for a couple of days. I mean, he just always just ran to whatever it was he was doing full force and just, you know, gave it everything he had. So now when he was doing the expeditions in the Himalayans, some things happened over there that uh, people talked about for many, many years, and I believe one of those was the Pangbosh Finger, as they <laughs> called it. Now, what do you know about that, Thomas? You mean the heist? Finger from the monastery. <laughs> gosh. Yeah, that one. <laughs> the one Peter Byrne, uh, the alleged Yeti hand, and then Peter Byrne went in there and got the head llama drunk. <laughs> Scotch. <laughs> <laughs> I was asking to see it, and while while he was drinking away and singing to himself and stuff like that, Peter snapped a finger off the hand. And had a uh, another finger put in its place, which he wired together with a bunch of wire and stuff like that. And he he snuck the finger out. Especially he committed a, 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 an, an international theft, to be honest. And he, and he ended up uh, getting the, the the finger out of the country. And uh, the late actor Jimmy Stewart's wife's. Um, um, uh, makeup kit or lingerie bag, I think they call them in those days, or maybe they still do. I don't know. My <laughs> and, God! And the logic of the time, being the mid fifties, you know, uh, uh, no custom agent, certainly not a British custom agent, would ever search a lady's lingerie case. <laughs> right, exactly. That was a good thing on their the part. That's how they got the finger out. <laughs> but it was basically. Uh, Misplaced and lost for so many years until uh, I, I can't remember the name of the uh, the uh, scientist who remembered he had a sample of the skin from it in an envelope in his desk. And I think when it was finally examined, it was determined to be probably human. But uh, uh, we we don't know. But it was kind of it, it kind of led to um, who was the name of that fellow used to run that show um untamed world on american television uh bonnie stauffer or uh oh i can't uh, forget it yeah 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 he, he, he ran that show untamed world and he did a a bunch of yeti expeditions or abominable snowman as it was called in the himalayas and he went and looked at the hand and of course this was after burn was there and he announced it fake because he said there was wire all over the darn thing <laughs> <laughs> well yeah oh wow and i'm sure that the uh the monk yeah. after he sobered up and and realized <laughs> oh i don't know i don't know i don't i don't know unusual about this hand oh. now i just wonder how huh, how that man was uh probably not too happy Oh, probably not. I wouldn't be surprised yeah, if they say, been... if this man comes back, we get him. <laughs> I'd say. I mean, that's, that, that's crazy. It sounds like a Hollywood movie. Yeah, it does. It so... really does. But it, it ended up, um, uh, Tom Slick, after uh, the, all the Bluff Creek tracks were found in 58, got interested in what was going on up there. And he came up and... He met, you know, John Green. Rennie couldn't go down there that first year because he was, he was, even though he was in Canada, he didn't have his citizenship yet, so he wasn't allowed to cross the border. Uh, so Rennie actually didn't really go down to Buff Creek until the Pacific Northwest Expedition was started, and that was 1959. And it basically okay, ran yeah. from 59, 60, and 61, yeah, and a little bit of 62, and then, and then, then. When Peter Byrne was brought in uh, by Tom Slick from the Himalayas to run the whole thing, well, that well, 
like I said, it was it was a collection. It was supposed to be an organized cooperative expedition to find evidence for the Sasquatch, but really was was a, a collection of extreme egos who thought they knew uh-huh. enough about Sasquatch and they weren't going to be taking orders from some. Uh, from some British guy who was actually an Irishman. He just sounded like a British guy. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you know, and, you know, why were you taking orders from him? So there was bad blood right from the beginning, you know, and, and of course, Titmus and Hinden despised each other from day one. And uh, the other people involved in the expedition, like Ed Patrick and uh, Kirk Johnson and they did their bit, but they were just kind of sort of like, oh, God, there they go again. You know, Tim is just saying bad things about Renee, and Renee, of course, is saying bad things about Titmus. And <laughs> just went on and on like that. John Green's criticizing the whole thing. I mean, one of the things Renee told me and John was even though, you know, Tom Slick was a millionaire, you never would have known him by the way he was running the Pacific Northwest Expedition. Because other than the five thousand dollars he put in to get it started, I guess five thousand went a lot, a lot farther in nineteen fifty-eight. Really, the only thing he ever provided the expedition was an old chainsaw, which didn't work. <laughs> Everybody there was busy driving their own vehicles, buying their own gas, buying their own food. <laughs> and as it went well, on, how the world is their uh, own thing. You, you know, fund an uh, expedition when you're not funding the expedition, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's sort of like Tom Stever was the, the 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 leader and the field marshal of the whole thing. And at first, it was Titmus who was considered the field leader, and then when uh, Peter Byrne was brought in, it was him. <laughs> right, uh, and I and, know that that totally rubbed everybody the wrong way, and the Hendon and his oh, and his character, he always found. Um, Short, simple words to define, you know, what he was thinking, and he called the whole thing a total screw up. Oh yeah, he thought it was a joke. He got so frustrated he left. He didn't wow. come back the following year, but for a time there, he just threw up his hands and he left, and he he didn't want to do it. And, and a lot a lot of people don't know this, but Tom Slick started from the Pacific Northwest Expedition, and then he started sponsoring what he called the British Columbia Expedition. And he uh, that's how Titmus ended up in Terrace in, in the Bella Coola region of, of the west coast of British Columbia. Tom Slick put him there to do full-time research. When Rennie thought, heard about that, he came back, and he basically almost begged to be allowed to participate in that and blah 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 but of course Tim said you bring him up I'm out <laughs> right yeah, yeah, that's I, all that. yeah I didn't even know that what you just yeah, told me I yeah, didn't but know that basically the British Columbia expedition was well John Green participated about one month out of the year in it and they hit him went up and basically went stayed on one side of the town when Timmons was on the other <laughs> and did his own thing but it only went on for a little while because, of course, in 1962, uh, Tom Slick was killed when his uh, plane disintegrated over Montana. Yeah. And, both and he was only 46 a, when he passed away. Yeah, and both dishes came to a crashing halt. And all everything that was collected was in his uh, lab and, and uh, research facility in San Antonio, and I guess his uh, business associates and family members did not really appreciate or understand his interest in this subject and most of the materials just disappeared never to be heard from again wow yeah that, it was that, it was that. really really an odd ball thing you've i've heard it described in books and on radio programs as a first wild finance expedition to look for the sasquatch and uh, that depends what you classify as well financed and organized. <laughs> yeah, wasn't. I mean, it doesn't sound like um, old Slick was writing <clears throat> checks for yeah. no, you no. know everything but they needed. Did. So, but that's the thing. And the main group, like the group you see in that photograph, they never right. saw money financial help. But every now and then, an odd outsider come in. Tell this cock and bull story or something, and Slick would say, "Well, here's a thousand. 
do something, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, at one point, two, two guys who, who names I don't recall uh, showed up saying they knew where Bigfoot was. They had counted him a dozen times, and they knew where to look. So Slick helped them find that, and I don't know if it was ponies or mules and a whole bunch of camping equipment and a whole bunch of alcohol for these guys to go out expedition like in the mountains in Northern California to find Bigfoot. And basically oh, all these boy. guys would spend the whole darn summer camping, drinking, and having a grand old time at Tom Slit's expense. Dang, man. That's yeah, I mean, as a matter of fact, at one point, uh, when the, when the, when the Slick finally decided to, to, to stop uh, paying for them, one of them went home, and the other guy, well, they had left the mules uh, and, and what was left of their supplies uh, tethered to a tree somewhere out there, and he wasn't going to go get it, but Rennie said he'd go with them and then go to retrieve the horses, and while they were out there overnight, another storm kicked up, and they kind of got cut off there for a little while, and this guy was panicking so much about their situation, he wanted to shoot one of the mules and eat it. <laughs> and Reddy said, oh you can do that, I'll shoot you. <laughs> and that was the end of him. So, again, it, it, it was instances like that over and over again that just, just dominated the whole thing. The best thing to come out of the Pacific Northwest Expedition, in my opinion, was John Green's home movies of the thing. And, uh, oh, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, they were quite fascinating to watch. I mean, there's this one shot of a, they got cut off because of the main road in, was blocked by a, a snag of a, well, it was obviously an old gold tree that had fallen over. This thing must have been at least six and a half, seven feet across. And there's a film of John Green sawing that with a handsaw. Wow. Try to clear it. And the thing <laughs> falls down to the road and nearly falls on his foot. <laughs> it's, it's almost as wow. wide as he is tall. That's how big this tree was. <laughs> they were calling already over with chains to to, to uh, help pull this monstrous tree out of the way. So. <laughs> and there was another well, see, I've never seen that guy film. showed up love with his new wife. And they were sent out on night ops, and Rennie's in the back seat, and these two people were more interested in each other in the front seat. <laughs> Rennie's in the back trying to look for, listen and look for Bigfoot. Well, these new married couple are almost going at it in the front seat. <laughs> oh, man. He said, this is just nonsense. I've had enough. <laughs> that was it. That, that's when Rennie left. Oh, the wow. <laughs> So when they started the investigation and um, that they went, and it was close to Bluff Creek. Is that correct? Yeah, we're basically along the Bluff Creek Timber Access Road. They also spent time up on Lonesome Ridge Road, but gen- that general area where the fit where the Jerry Crew tracks were found. Okay. That's where they spent okay. most of their time. I, I have no doubt they went up and around the film site. That would, would be the film site ten years later, probably half a dozen times. But the, the, the particular spot, of course, until October 20, 1967, had no particular interest. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And how many years total did this expedition go on over there? Was it 30 well, or 40 years? 50, yeah, well, 59 60 and 61. I can't recall the exact date of Tom Slick's death, but it was early in 62. And, of okay. course, as soon as that happened, that was the end. Now, the British Columbia uh, expedition that he was watching, that also ended, but Titmus carried on on its own expense up there for a number of years. Okay. And he eventually became a Canadian citizen and ended up moving into John Green's old house in Harrison Hot Springs. Of course, they were good friends for the rest of the or for the rest of his life. Huh? I didn't know that. He yeah. moved into his old house. Wow! It was the the Greens' old house. The Greens moved for a little while in the early nineteen uh, late seventies uh, to uh, to Victoria, Vancouver Island. But they were only gone for a couple of years, and they ended up coming back to Harrison Hot Springs and moving to their house on Nesbitt Avenue which is the one basically everybody remembers. But there were just two streets down in another house before that, and that was uh, Titmus's home. Oh, wow. Yep. 
Interesting. I didn't know that either. See, I love doing these shows with you because I learned so much. Um, <laughs> of the, the details and the background is just unbelievable. Well, the most it's comical the most at times, actually. Probably the most embarrassing thing. Like I said, Titmus was kind of like a lone wolf doing his own thing. Uh, he'd come in. He wouldn't talk to anybody. Uh, maybe fr- some friendly chatting with Green, but when it came to looking for Sasquatch, he basically went off and did his own thing. And I think we talked about this particular incident before in a previous show, but Titmus was convinced he had found a spot where a Sasquatch was hanging around. Because he told Tom, it's like, near this, not too far from this small creek, feeds the Buck Creek, there's this little platform, and I found this huge pile of droppings up there. It takes a bit to get to. And I said, I just want to show you, nobody else. And he and, and Tom Slick left early that morning, climbing up this hillside through the brambles, getting stretched up, and found out, yeah, and there was, right by this old tree, a huge pile of droppings of some kind. So they hid in the trees. Uh, for maybe a, uh, almost a couple of hours watching and waiting, cameras at the ready, stuff like that. Uh, there were no other tracks around of any kind, so there's no evidence of that. It's just that pile of droppings that fascinated Titmus, and he thought, well, this is where Bigfoot was coming in and hanging around, probably maybe going trying to catch fish out of the small stream. And then they heard a noise, like crackling of trees, and they started saying, oh, something's coming, look, look. And what came out of the uh, around the around the corner and towards this like clearing amongst these large trees was an elderly uh, Hoopa Indian gentleman carrying fishing gear, and he was pulling an old pony with uh, a few things on its back, sort of like a pack horse type thing. And he pulled in and he tied the horse he tied the horse up right to the tree near where these droppings were, and they went, "Oh no, this guy's going to ruin our survey." Uh, and nothing's going to come around with this guy here. Maybe we'll go introduce and see if we can leave or whatever. They introduced themselves, and this old Indian gentleman said, "Oh yeah, I've been coming here fishing for 15 years. This is right top. Or see the big pile of manure he's left there. In other words, the, the pile of horse, the big pile of, of droppings was from his horse. He'd been stuck that spot for 15 years. Dear God." <laughs> it's just like just look at Tempest. I think Tempest probably grunted or something like that. He ended up going back to the main camp, and, 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 and he just said Tempest just stormed through the camp, went straight to his vehicle, drove away, and they didn't see him for a week. <laughs> Good lord! He's majorly embarrassed. Slick corner talk. Of course, once DeHinden heard this story, <clears throat> he just wouldn't. He just wouldn't let Tempest forget it. So that was. I think that was the real beginning of the hatred between the two men. Because any time wow. any droppings was found, uh Dana would just look at Timmons and go, Oh shit <laughs> Oh my God. That's funny. Timmons would just glare at him. <laughs> it's just and it just went on like that. Things like that over and over and over again. And it, <laughs> and Titmus and had to despise each other to the day uh, uh, Titmus died. <laughs> and they never let up. And when Peter Burmans brought in, uh, Tip, uh, to and that, well, you know, they, they didn't mind them. Well, they did. But John Green just despised Peter Byrne from day one. And uh, wow. John Green always was. If you do anything with Peter Byrne, you'll never do anything with me. <laughs> what is that? That's probably why I personally never really met Peter Byrne face to face to 2010. <laughs> right. Because if John Green uh, had found out about it, he probably would have held it against me. I don't know, but probably. <laughs> that is amazing that they got anything done with all that. Um, oh yeah, and, and, and like I said, it, well, they did find. Tracks like Ed Patrick found a good set of footprints in the expedition that were cast. Titmus found an interesting set of prints at one point. As a matter of fact, there's a set of prints out there that Titmus, well, he 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 didn't want to care, call them out. He was going to come back and get them. He ended up wrapping them in in uh, uh, in um, uh, haversack bags, I believe, and he buried them out there for safekeeping. And he never picked them up. So somewhere out oh, there wow. in Bluff. 
buried somewhere is a, a stash of plaster Paris castings from 1960. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> that would be interesting Yeah. Yeah, so, and he just never went back to pick them up. I think he couldn't find them or remember where he put them, but they're down there somewhere. And, and now, did Ivan Sanderson, I know he helped fund the um, the initial um, expedition, but did Ivan ever go on any of the expeditions? Ivan visited visited them, okay. but he was never part of the Pacific Growth Expedition, at least as far as I know. But it was his one of his visits in the, I think it was 59, uh, that uh, he was sitting around the campfire and he was asking all kinds of questions because he had just heard of Bigfoot around the same time everyone else did down there. Okay. And he was asking questions and, and, uh, and John Green just smiled and said, well, Sasquatch is old news up in British Columbia. And oh, oh, wait a minute, what's that name? How do you say that? How do you spell that? Blah, 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 blah. What's, what is Sasquatch? And he said, "Well, that's the name in Canada for the same thing. You know, uh, uh, it's maybe it's been known as Sasquatch since since 1929 up in Canada. And uh, the name Bigfoot just came about now after these tracks were found in '58 because that's what the press called it. They'd never heard of the yeah. Sasquatch, so they gave it its own name, eh? Bigfoot." Actually, the, the title was Big Footprints Found, and the Associated Press just took Big and Foot and put it together, and Bigfoot was born. Wow. But that's that's how interesting because Sasquatch has such a, a long history in the, um, <clears throat> the Native communities, and it seems like the, the Canadian um, Native people they they were they calling it Sasquatch before um, what was it John Burns showed well, up. J. W. Burns was his name. Yeah, and, uh, that's how it was. Was he was sort of a, 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 what what they called it back then an Indian agent. Uh, to put it uh, bluntly, he was a spy for the Crown. Uh, ah. He was in with the Stahelis people up in the Harrison Mills area, and but he became very he really liked the First Nation people he was spying on for the government. And uh, he uh, got to know them very well and very, was very friendly and was very sympathetic to, uh, you know, problems on the reserves. And he actually, even though he was never a qualified or established teacher, he filled in his time by uh, by teaching at that, the reserve school. Uh, you'll find many, uh, an elderly uh, uh Shahela's uh, member today that said if it weren't for J.W. Burns, none of the kids ever would have ever bothered going to school. They liked them that much, right? Wow. And he would teach kids there. And, of course, when he got friendly and, and uh, they started opening up to him, they started talking about this thing or human-like thing in the mountains around there called the the Suscuts or the Suscuts. It all depends on who you talk to and how they pronounce the name. And he he would write articles for magazines describing life on First Nations reserves, especially the Chehalis Reserve there in the Harrison Mills area, in Canadian magazines. And he wrote an article that appeared on April 1st, 1929, in McLean's Magazine, which is a popular magazine in Canada. McLean's Magazine. And, of course, April 1st is April Fool's Day, so you can basically see how serious the magazine took the subject. And the title of that article was Introducing B.C.'s Hairy Giants. And he took the name Suskus or Suskahe, and he mispronounced and misspelled it, and he called it Sasquatch. And that's how the name came about. It was basically a mispronunciation of a Shehalis name for the creatures. And the name. it's been known as Sasquatch in Canada ever since. Wow. Okay. See, I knew yeah. that there was something involved with with that in Burns and um the actual word Sasquatch was was With then a born. Pronunciation and a misspelling of, of the Shehalish name. Suscat. So when when Ivan went to the expedition to visit and John Green was there and he's saying oh this well, is old how, news up in Canada and, and Sanderson wasn't even aware of, of that? 
Well, Sanderson wasn't wasn't aware of of sightings of creatures like this in North America. And when Bigfoot okay. came about, it was kind of like new news. He was wondering, well, haven't we heard about this before? And God said, well, you know, you talk to the native people here. They have different names for it, but it goes back generations, long before the Europeans came to North America. And Sanderson said, well, well, Sanderson's logic was, well, if there isn't anything like it in Western Canada, there's probably nothing to this at all. And Green said, well, Sasquatch is old news in Canada. And that's where that's the first uh, Sanderson heard that name, and he said, "What? What was that? What did you call it? How do you spell that?" And he started taking notes, and that's how. Oh, so uh, he oh, got really interested in finding out more book. about the whole history of the the Sasquatch in North America. Correct, and this all led to Sanderson's first book. Wow! There's so published much. In this, In what year? Sixty-one. Sixty-one, Abominable Snowman Legend Come to Life. Yes, and I have that book, actually. Um, so this whole thing, it's like a, a, an onion. Every time we talk about these things, there's layers and layers, and it's <laughs> it's like an always um, – some of these stories all seem to kind of have a um, a path crossed with the other stories. I know. Oh yeah, well, I, I, my only vouching for what I'm saying is that's what I was told by the the people I knew who were involved. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I talked to John. I knew John Green. I talked to him long and hard about all this. I knew Randy DeHen, and I talked to him long and hard about all this. Sometimes they contradicted each other, especially on who was right. <laughs> and of course, uh-huh. Bob. Bob Tidmus, to a bit of a lesser extent, but I, I remember talking to him quite often about this and. <laughs> I never met, of course, Tom Slick, and uh, uh, I, I don't. I think I met Ed Patrick in 2003. He was still alive, and in the at the Willow Creek conference, it was great talking to him. Uh, and he was I, in no, part of the expedition, right? Yeah, originally he was the one that found that yeah. great set of tracks down there at the time when it was going on, and they cast a number of them, and they. Well, as far as I know, those castings went missing when uh, uh, Tom Slick's uh, organization basically shut it all down and got rid of it all. Wow, what a shame. Yeah, it is a shame. It's too bad. Maybe they're in a box or drawer somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Somebody's uh, at it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a historical thing, but again, because, but to describe it as a wild finance, well-organized expedition to look for Bigfoot, that is simply, well, you you have to uh, decide for yourself what you consider well-financed and well-organized. <laughs> well-financed. Well, I know that, um, another person that I really admire in all this, uh, Lauren Coleman. Uh, now, he has a couple books that he has wrote about Tom Slick. Um, one is called Tom Slick and the Search for the Yeti, and one is Tom Slick, True, Enc- True Encounters in Cryptozoology. Uh-huh. And I really need to add those two books to my collection. You know, there was going to be a movie made about Tom Slick starring Nicolas Cage, I heard, a number of years ago, but I guess mm-hmm. that never got off the ground. Yeah, I guess yeah, that and was... You know, I... That would make a good movie. Yeah, I mean, yeah, especially but I, with talking about Tom Slick and now he had been into uh, he had gone down in another plane accident prior to the one that that took his life. Um, where was that? He ended up staying there with the the tri- tribal people for two weeks before rescued. I don't know much detail about that, but I I do know he 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 was he forced landed somewhere and he and he spent a number of days with these people until they finally came out and got him. Uh, but he really his plane didn't crash over Montana in '62. It blew up. Yeah, the one and they, they never did find out why that was, did they? Oh no, 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 no! It's a mystery. What would cause a plane right. to blow up? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. It's a shame it happened yeah, because so he did a lot of had uh, traveling. Never had another Tom Slick since, and that, that would be no. Amazing. And it, that's. I wish we did have somebody that was 
a millionaire that would, uh, you know, that was step dedicated. up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I said, hopefully, I mean, Rene always thought because he spent so much money over in Nepal looking for the Yeti, he was a little gun shy spending too much over here. I mean, I think he felt he didn't have to. But Tom Slick, um, yeah, like when Peter Byrne brought over, I mean, uh, <laughs> how to say this? Um, Tom Slick and Peter Byrne were buddy-buddy, and uh, they loved going around chasing women and women uh, womanizing and stuff like that. And they, they'd leave the camp, uh, you know, uh, a fit for official administrative purposes, and they'd be downtown in Eureka or somewhere, you know, carousing with the girls. <laughs> that kind of thing. So, so again, uh, all this is hearsay based on people who are kind of mad at them at the time. So, <laughs> Right, right. You know, whether or not it's true or not, who knows. <laughs> But uh, it went it on for like I said, three years, and they did, they did make some interesting finds, but unfortunately we'll never know what those finds were because uh, Tom Slate's organization just sort of shut everything down and um, no one ever heard what happened to all this stuff. And no one ever from the family made any type of... Uh... Uh, announcement about where the stuff might go. And no, as just far as didn't... I can tell, the Slick family uh, basically were kind of embarrassed that Tom Slick was even participating in something like this. They oh, were, uh, uh, at least that's my impression. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. I have never tried to communicate with Tom Slick's uh, uh, surviving family members. Right. Uh, well, yeah, I can so... tell you, uh, looking into some of the um, stuff that is available, it, it did seem that his mother, now when he was over in the Himalayas and there was a, an accident, he was in um, a van or a bus or something, and it overturned, and he ended up really damaging his knees. I guess uh, his mother was so worried about him, and she's like, you're not going back over there. You yeah. stay in the state. Yeah, and there was also his family was basically against the whole subject. Why are you wasting time looking for fairy stories? You know, they, they right. didn't think anything of the Yeti, and they they thought even less of Bigfoot. The fact was that something like this existed in the Western Pacific Northwest, the United States. We would know about it. You know, so their attitude was there is no such thing. It's just fables. It's mythology. It's folklore. Uh, and Tom Slick um, probably just was going against the grain and spending more money than they thought was appropriate, and maybe the board of the board of governors in his oil company didn't appreciate money being taken to be spent on expeditions looking for the Yeti and Bigfoot. Yeah, that's true, and, and that's that could well, be why we, we had to walk into the main building of whatever state. oil he was heading and we'd find all those casts on display proudly in the display case somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> oh my gosh. But yeah. I, I think the most interesting thing about all this is is going to be the whole Jimmy Stewart smuggling out the finger yeah. and his wife Lonja. I mean that's just did they know about it back then? I mean was it this well known after the fact? After they got back to the states, was it known? Do you know that that they had as far done as that, I know, or did that come out? The monks at, sometime at, later. Monastery were happy as hell. As far as you're concerned, they still had their hand. Uh, uh, they never noticed any difference, which mm-hmm. kind of suggests to me they never really probably looked at it very closely at all in the first place. If they didn't notice the wire or anything like that, nothing right. was ever said about. Yeah, nothing was ever said about it. Uh, as far as I know, the only thing about the the finger that was taken was there was a flesh sample taken from the finger and kept in a paper envelope that someone eventually looked at, and they thought it was probably human. Now, whether or not yeah, was I did hear about the uh, yeah, yeah. Or DNA, yeah, yeah. And you know, they, but they the, did say that the other expeditions. 
the other expeditions looking for the uh, that looked at the you know the uh, the scalp you know, uh, and the hand, and they saw the wire that Peter Bernard placed on it, and mm-hmm. assumed the whole thing was just a, a mock-up of a corpse's hand, or. Uh, and uh, well, the Yeti, so-called Yeti scalp, turned out to be uh, a, a yak hide, uh, right. shawl, they call it. And they were all, you know, you see, how is it that every monastery happens to have a Yeti scalp? <laughs> <laughs> right, something, uh, a body part of a Yeti, you know. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? You know, and, I know that they they regard but, them as. as you know, highly regard them over there, the Yeti. Well, yeah, um, there's relics there. I mean, uh, God right. knows how they would react if they ever heard that Peter Byrne actually mutilated one to steal a finger. I don't know. Oh, man. <laughs> He's probably lucky that no one, no one noticed for that whole time. <laughs> yeah, oh, probably. Probably because I'm sure he went back to Nepal every, uh, at least a couple times since then. As far as I know, they didn't kill him, so. <laughs> yeah, right, and uh, I tell you, that's um, some crazy stories involved in the Tom Slick thing. I mean, he just, he was quite the adventurer, and um, he, he did, uh, now when he passed, he, he I think he uh, willed a lot of money to charities um, and so forth, and he was very concerned with um Peace and and human issues and you yeah. know he wasn't known just for his expeditions of Bigfoot he was actually known for a lot more than that and this was just kind of on the side. <clears throat> I think he looked at the Yeti and Bigfoot uh, as probably a missing link in the chain of man somewhere and therefore could be a viable in the future mm-hmm. for you know genetic reasons and things like that. That was his thing. Right, and it wouldn't hurt to be the one who um, was able to prove that they were real. Yeah. You know, that, that wouldn't yeah. have hurt. Yeah. And, well, he did what he did, and uh, unfortunately Tom Slick was destined to die an early death in a horrible accident. Or, yeah, well, accident, that's the official cause. So, yeah. 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 That's Unfortunately. Plane exploding in midair, yeah. Yeah, exploding in midair. Hmm. That's odd. But um, I was reading here just now that, let's see. The bones, here's what I'm reading here. It said the bones were eventually found after they had been on display at the Hunterian Museum at the Royal College of Surgeons for some time. A DNA test done at the Royal Zoological Society of Scotland concluded that the bones did, in fact, belong to a human. Mm-hmm. This was back in 2011 from the, or no, right, now I'm the sorry. Now, the Pinjan Hand, uh, how do you pronounce that name, Pinjan? Pen, pen, oh. oh, the, the you, Peng Bosch finger, they Peng, called it. Peng Bong. <laughs> it, yeah, uh, it was mummified, right? So uh, right. It, it was very old, so they've had it, they've had it for quite a while. And, um, again, uh, if it weren't for Peter Byrne and a bottle of scotch, he never would have found out about it, let alone got a piece of it. That is so funny. Yeah, I mean, here yeah, a lot of people talk- don't, know, don't know that that happened behind the scenes, you know, that there was some alcohol. You know, a lot of things, it seems like there was some alcohol involved <laughs> in this whole Bigfoot, the early years. He's asking questions about the Yeti, and uh, he's pouring the guy's scotch. The guy said, would you like to see a hand of the Yeti? He goes, what are you talking about? We have it at the monastery. And Peter Burns said, can I see it? No. Sacred. No one can see it except, the, you know, the, the high priest or whatever, blah, 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 blah. Oh, here, have some more scotch. <laughs> a little drunker. A little, a little you sure can't? Okay, you can look at it. So he went to look at it. <laughs> Thought it was interesting, but he did. Wow. He, he, ended up, uh, he ended up plotting the stealing of the finger back in London, when uh, when meeting with a bunch of other people in a restaurant, uh, and one guy suggested he had the skeletal remains of a of a human hand, and it was I can't remember the man's name, but it was he who looked to Peter 
and say, can you replace the hand with this hand? And it was Peter who said, not the whole hand, but maybe a finger. <laughs> oh, in his next trip to Nepal, he would visit the same monastery and the same uh, the high, high monk. Another couple of bottles of good good scotch. <laughs> and went through the process. And he was good stoned and blitzed. He uh, did his surgery on the mummified hand. Cut off the one <laughs> finger, packed it away, put on the uh, finger from uh, some other skeletal remains. <laughs> God knows where it came from. And and glued and, and wired the whole thing together. Monk woke wow. up next morning, perfectly happy that he still had their hand. And uh, uh, and Peter said, how do you do? I will thank you very much. And, they, and he left. <laughs> now, where was Jimmy Stewart at? Was he in London? When did all this happen? I mean, how, Stewart, where I did they know meet up? Did you ever hear about was, where they met up for that? He was man do at the time. I uh, which is the capital city. And uh, why he was there, I don't recall. It was nothing to do with any Yeti expedition. He was there for other reasons. And Peter Byrne knew him, and they were, they were kind of friends. And uh, uh, and the uh, that's when they made arrangements to smuggle the finger out in Mrs. Stewart's lingerie case. <laughs> so full so, well. So that was one of those um, kind of just happened. It wasn't pre-planned. No, 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 not at all. It was kind of like, uh, how are we going to get this out of the country uh, without it being searched? Because <laughs> I guess searching was quite quite extensive, even back then. And they, and they had the idea, well, Mrs. Stewart's lingerie case, because, oh, the proper British customs won't won't rummage through a lingerie lady's lingerie case. <laughs> wow. And you know what? The case, the case actually went missing. What do you mean? When they got then their luggage came off the plane, but the lingerie case wasn't there. It had been misplaced somewhere. Oh. And so later on, the stewards back in their hotel, knocking the door, there was a guy from British Customs with the lingerie case. They had found it. <laughs> no. <laughs> Mrs. Stewart apparently said, he didn't look at it, did he? She goes, oh, heavens no, madam. We'd never go through a woman's lingerie, a lady's lingerie. <laughs> Open it up. <laughs> look a little yeah. bit. <laughs> A mummified finger somewhere. <laughs> oh my goodness! He actually <laughs> delivered the finger back to them. Yeah, that yeah. is a riot. What happened to it after that? I don't know. There are several stories. Stayed in the lab for a while. One guy took a piece of skin off of it and put it in in an envelope and uh, put it in his uh, file dra- door, drawer of his wooden desk and promptly forgot about it and wasn't looked at for decades. And then it finally was. I think it was like 2000, like you said, 2010, 2011, came back probably human. Wow. Yeah. So they have that over there to this day. I wonder if they're still telling people it's a a Yeti hand. Oh, well, yeah. They still had the, uh, actually, I heard somewhere that the hand was stolen. Oh. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure, but I think I heard somewhere that the Panjang hand was actually stolen, uh, but it's never turned up anywhere. Uh, mm, that's interesting. I'd have to check on that. I, I, I it just hit me. Remember what? Didn't someone report it stolen? Like it was much, much later, of course, like in the mid 1990s or something like that. But uh, some German mountaineers or, or some visitors, someone stole the hand. But uh, I don't know if it's true or not. Hmm. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah. I'm looking right now to see if I can find anything about it. Yeah. Oh, let's see. It does look like stolen from a Nepali monastery. Yeah, it was. Okay. It was stolen, the whole hand. Did it turn <laughs> up? Um, let's see. Let's see if this says anything about it. I know that they, this was back August 14, 2013. An article, Saga of the Yeti Hand, and the Atlas Obscura, turns out. New Zealand pilot, mountain climber, and adventurer Mike Alsop has reportedly delivered the replica hand of the abominable snowman hand to the monks of the Pangbosh Monastery in Nepal 
more than a half century after Hunter working for oil man Tom Slick, spirited parts of the relic out of Nepal for analysis elsewhere. The hands. Okay. So it looks like it. The fake hand is meant into right or wrong. Okay, so the fake hand was delivered back. The replica. So no, the original one has never been returned. But they made a that replica of. Doesn't say who. And it's still there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it says, "I want to help the monastery have an income again. I want to help them out." Also told yeah. BBC in 2011. So it looks like. Um, People made donations when they visited the monastery to look at the Yeti hand and the skull cap. They actually it's made uh, it's, donations it's when they went in there. It's a shame. I mean, there, the so. Nepal, it's a poor country. These monasteries are centuries old. They have these relics of their cultural history. They open up those uh, uh, things to let uh, visitors look at it. And it turns out through the time, visitors steal them. And, I mean... I, I can't understand. I mean, it just shows you the class and the Japanese people that they're willing to. They're so forgiving. I mean, uh, if it had been me, I would have sealed it up and never let, seen anyone outside of the. Right. The local look at it again, you know, ever. Uh, but uh, they obviously did, so. And they get rewarded by being robbed. I mean, that's a shame. I know, and. and um... Yeah. The the odd thing is that they didn't even realize that the finger had been replaced. I guess they just didn't really. No, they, they no, no. And, uh, it's bothered me. I can't remember that guy's name who used to, a uh, white-haired gentleman who used to be popular in, the, in North America for that Mutual Overhaul's Wild Kingdom. Uh, he's the one yeah. that led the expedition that said, oh, there's something wrong with the hand because there's wire all over it. It's been working. <laughs> Oh, yeah, we know, know now what was wrong with that. Bird had just been there a year before and did that. So. <laughs> wow, that is just. Uh, and what yeah, I mean they they're still they still talk about this um, hand and the the finger episode, and I mean you still see there are yeah. still some current uh, stories actually from 2018 updated stories about all this that yeah, I've been yeah. finding here. So. It still is an intriguing story for people. Well, that's the story of Tom Slick. It's really got nothing to do with the Pacific Northwest Expedition. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. So uh, let me switch gears here for a moment and ask um, New Year here, Thomas. What Anything new going on up in Canada? Well, 2019 so far, I haven't had a single report, not in this okay. area. Yeah, but of course, 2019 so, yeah, is only, only 17 days in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nothing not a new going on yet, huh? I heard anything so yet. So do you have a lot of snow up there right now? No, as a matter of fact, it's been a very mild winter here uh, on the West Coast. I mean, it's we're like the Pacific Northwest in the United States. And up here in Canada, it's more rain than anything else in the wintertime. We do get snow higher up in elevations, but when you get down to sea level, it's more rain than anything else. That's why we call this the the, the tropics of Canada. Uh, yeah. Everywhere else, the deep freeze and buried in snow, but here on the West Coast, as soon as you get past Hope, the snow disappears and it's all rain. That's, oh, why, okay. the trees, yeah, that's why the trees are so big and they grow so fast. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, but if we're oh, going to get hit, we'll every every now and then a blizzard breaks through and we get buried for a little while. <laughs> right. But it hasn't been this year yet. Yeah. Yeah, let's knock on wood though, because uh, you know here in North Carolina, where I live, we, we're getting some unusual cold weather coming in, courtesy of Canada, the jet stream starting Sunday. We're looking at a low of 22 at night here, which is really low for us. So. All right. Oh, that, that, that's Trudeau's fault. You can blame him for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got to blame somebody, right? That's so, right. <laughs> what we need to do is uh, on the next couple of shows, I know we talked about doing one on John Green. 
And I'd like to do one on Ivan Sanderson because I think he's an, another interesting character. So uh, for our listeners, just know that we will be doing uh, – I'd like to – with John Green, I'd like to focus on some of the um, contributions made to the whole Bigfoot story by Canadians. So that that could be a good show to do, um, a tribute to, to Canadian investigators and researchers. Because, so, I mean, you guys offer, offered up a lot and brought a lot to the table over the decades of this uh, whole enigma that we are looking for. Well, like I said, it's uh, the Sasquatch is uh, a mystery, uh, a fascinating mystery surrounded in, by enigma followed by controversy. <laughs> <laughs> and thus, and yeah. thus the crazy... Uh, Crazy Eight Circle continues. I mean, um, it does. I like. And it, there's the always a new nugget. Field today is more like an asylum being run by inmates. Well, it's it's like that in Canada too. But I think we've been lucky. We haven't been as hit as bad by that as you have. Because yeah. we don't have a Hollywood up here that puts out silly TV shows all the time and. Right. Makes, exactly. Yeah. Seem to be a little bit more on the commonsensical side of things. Only a little. Believe me, we have our shares of kooks here too. I deal with them all. <laughs> like I don't know if you've noticed, but the the whole massacre Bluff Creek thing has popped up again. I thought we debunked that ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why that keeps circulating. I guess it's well, it um, keeps circulating because the people who bring it up have no have no. Uh, uh, well, morality. I guess. I yeah, yeah. They keep. They just like to push their insane theories because they get a little group of followers following them, and that's what they do. You know, um, it's just absolute ridiculous nonsense. It is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Theories off it, of pictures, still shots of pictures, and uh, I don't know. You know, and, um, well, M.K. Davis is the main one who brought this up. When it first came up, it was basically brought up by David Pilates, who uh, wanted John Green, who was still alive then, to take a lie detector test. And the late Bobby Short, who I was good friends with, and we uh, liked each other, but this sort of ended that not too long before Bobby Short's death. Um because she was so completely on the side of the massacre theory, and I couldn't understand why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, we tried to explain it to her. Uh, what they were looking at was not even the Paris and film. It was uh, Blue Creek Mountain footage shot by Randy Dehind in, in late August or September. See, what had happened was that Chris Murphy uh, sent John a copy of John Green's uh, lecture film to him to be looked at for another purpose. And MK got it in his head. He was looking at never before seen footage of the Paris and Gimlin film. Well, it wasn't. It, that film has actually spliced together five different films with the Paris and footage on the end that Green had made oh. up for himself and to Hinton for public lecture purposes because back then they didn't have, uh, uh, you know, uh, DVD and. and um, Right. BTF programs, you know, you basically showed overheads or you showed movies, right? And that's what it was, and that's what its purpose was. And he got it, he came up with this wild conspiracy theories, and in my opinion, that's where he crossed the line and started hoaxing because he changed the contour, two images, to make the hands of the pilot look red. Of course, they were saying the pilot was. Bob Tibbs, and it wasn't. It was a man named Keith Gazzara. Uh, he's still alive, and we know him. Uh, or at least he was in 2011. And they changed uh, the contours and all to make the stream look like it was red, and it was all they were saying it was just filled with blood. And as far as I'm concerned, when you alter images to give a false impression of what you're looking at, that's hoaxing by any definition I know. That's unreal. 
Yeah, yeah. I heard about that whole controversy, and I saw the pictures based on what MK said it was, and I just, I didn't see it. Well, I I just published, we responded to it when it first came out by writing two articles. Bill Miller wrote the other, and I helped him with every step of the way, and so did the late John Green. And they they just republished them on my blog site if you want to read them. Oh, yeah. yeah, Something because as soon as this came up again, that's the first thing I did. I said, we we bunked this 10 years ago uh, when it first came out. Here's those articles again. You read it. You make up your own mind. Yeah. Ooh, that's, that sounds like something I need to put, put your blog on our uh, website. Now, speaking <laughs> of your um, website, what is your uh, address on your website? People want to go look at that. Oh, okay, www.thomasdeenberg.com. I'll see that's easy enough. Just thomasdeenberg.com. Yeah, um, maybe that's something we can speak in length uh, down the road. We have so many great show ideas. No, 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 no. The show is about the old guard. and I'm too young to be the old guard, right, Julie? (laughs) That's right. That's That's right. right. See, now, (laughs) the show title is Talking Old Timers. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We're that's talking right. about the old timers. It doesn't that's mean right. I'm not one of Thomas the is in the category because he's too young. That's right. I'm way too young. <laughs> if, if I keep telling myself that, eventually I'll believe it. <laughs> that's right. Well, Thomas, it's been a great show as usual. Um, we're up at the hour here, and I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. I appreciate you joining me, and I hope you get to feel <laughs> better. Here. Yeah, yeah, that Pacific Northwest expedition, you can't you can't think about it without saying they had the opportunity to do so much and it degenerated into so little, but it did I achieve know. it did achieve some things. Unfortunately, we never got to see what it achieved because when Tom died, they wasted no time in getting rid of it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, what that's a true. That it is, is. The, the saddest thing about the whole about the whole affair, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be nice to somebody out there that had an old box of this stuff. Who yeah. knows, you know? Turn up yeah. and say, well, here it is. So if you're listening out there and you know. <laughs> yeah, it would be interesting to go talk to the people. At, uh, I assume that the oil companies that Tom Slick was heading would still exist. I don't know. It'd be interesting. I'm sure he still has relatives that are still alive. Maybe we ought to look into this. But yeah, I think it's already. Yeah, you fun. never know. I mean, yeah. I think as time Peter goes, people sometimes a, are willing a, to talk. So. Yeah, I think Peter Byrne and John Green spent time individually uh, trying to find out if uh, any of the slick stuff had actually survived, but they could never get anywhere with it. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, well, I just wrote that note down. <laughs> Well, Thomas, I will uh, talk to you again next month when we have another show. We'll we'll discuss, uh, we'll do one on green, or maybe do the um, Canadian contributions. Maybe that would be the next show. I know I definitely want to do, like I said, one on Ivan. And there's just so many good topics to pick from. But So I appreciate you being on. It was fun, as usual. And... Uh, Look forward to talking again to you, Thomas. Roger that, Julie. Talk to you again soon. Okay. You take care. You too, there. All right. Bye-bye. And if you haven't uh, checked into Monster Exclusive, um, what we're doing over there with our special content, and uh, we have a lot of new ideals that we are putting forward in in 2019, we have brought a new member into our our team, and we will be announcing that in the coming weeks here. A lot of exciting things going on, so uh, if you want to check it out, go to our website, www.monsterxradio.com, and click on the uh, exclusive membership for more information. I appreciate you all joining me, and uh, as I said, we will return next month with another exciting episode of On the Shoulders of Giants, Talking Old Timers with Thomas. Thank you all for listening.